Hello, everybody. This is Marty Miller, Regional Master Instructor with the Nash Academy Sports Medicine. And I'm here with my good friend, as always, fellow Regional Master Instructor, Wendy Batts. And we are here for our weekly Master Instructor Roundtable. Wendy, how's it going today? It's going great. How are you? Excellent. As you know, this is always my favorite time of the week. So I'm oh, excited to be into part three. So as yes. you know, and everybody else here hopefully knows we did two parts on deconstructing the squat. And now we're transitioning into part three, where now we're going to put it all together with program design and different squat progressions. So Wendy, if you want to maybe as we move into the next slide, give just, you know, kind of a quick recap on what those other two part one and part two cover for those that may be just joining us here for the first time on this topic. Sure. I, you know, and we actually got this idea and this is what Marty and I loved was the fact that there was somebody that reached out to us on our Facebook page and they said, you know what, can you guys do what you always do and actually break down components of a squat? And so first of all, we want to say thank you so much for, you know, giving us the ideas and helping us, you know, provide content that we know that you guys are finding useful or if there's any um, anything like specific topics that you want us to cover, always let us know because if there's a way that we can actually put it into one of our webinars, we're really happy to do so. I mean, that's why we're here is to offer as much support as we can for y'all. Um, but in, in, you know, our part one, we kind of broke up the anatomy of a squat. What are the prime movers? And we're going to actually just give another slide here in a few minutes of, of exactly the prime movers we're discussing and why. And then um, as you guys, if we go back to the slide, you can see we actually took that information, thought about what we would see in an assessment and some some, you know, options of of ways to think when you're seeing this in assessment, here are some key key points that you want to make when it comes to foam rolling and stretching the overactive muscles. And then, of course, as we always talk about, you want to make sure you're activating the um, lengthened or underactive muscles. So, you know, we also talked about who should do a squat and you know what in all reality we move um we have to squat in activities of daily living when you're getting in and out of the car when you're going to the restroom there are so many different things that require us to be able to safely perform a squat and so we want to make sure when we're working with our clients that we're putting our best foot forward we're making sure that we're helping them move in the best way that they possibly can so therefore when they're out of the gym and they're not quote in their workout that they're actually taking what they're learning and their body's starting to adapt to these better movement patterns and then, of course, last week we spent some time talking about different um, different types of squats. Now, again, I want to reiterate this. If you go back and listen and you happen to miss part two, Marty and I were just telling you um, some common squats or going over some common squats that we see in a gym. We're not saying they're good or bad. We just wanted to bring to the forefront some things for you guys to think about when you are going to start incorporating squats into your clients' programs. And then, of course, gave you some ideas of um, some exercises, uh, again, to consider as well as some progressions. And that brings us into today. And today I'm excited about it because we are going to talk a little bit more about program design. We want to kind of take you guys into some squat progressions because it's not necessarily from day one. You should throw a bar on someone's back load their their spine especially if they had an anterior tilt and then have them squat and see how they do so there are very specific things we want you guys to think about and realize that just switching up the program makes it more challenging on the body makes it more fun for the client and and you're going to have a better outcome long term absolutely and what excites me today is we're going to get into an exercise but we'll start off with how we break it down by joints, right? You know, when you and I both know that when we give our clients an exercise, we use a terminology that they're very comfortable with. We talk about a muscle or two that they're going to work, but we look at training joint actions, multiple joint actions, single joint actions, depending on what exercise and what we're trying to target. But we'll go through really what all the joint actions are of a good squat. And then we'll give some great ideas on how people can work that into their program. And that will bring us then into the next slide. And, and of course, again, just to review, because we went into more detail in the last two series, um, what are our prime movers? And it would be the glute max and the quads. And then, of course, we're bringing in the soleus. And so the soleus is going to kind of bring us into the key joint actions. And so, Marty, if you want to kind of take us through this, because you do such an exceptional job going through the different joints and what you really need to have. We are going to break these up into more specifics. So you guys will see on, on following slides about range of motion and 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 
um, what are important considerations. But in the in the just the short and skinny, Marty, do you want to take us through this? Sure. Absolutely, be happy to. So I love the picture here because we're going to be able to talk about it and see it simultaneously. So when we look at ankle dorsiflexion, that is the motion that we're as we're descending into the eccentric part of the squat. The ankle is in the foot and shin are getting closer together. That's the relative term that we're going to call ankle dorsiflexion. So you'll see that here on the video. So where sometimes people get confused when they're like, well, how is the soleus a prime mover in the squat? As I come out of the squat from the eccentric loading into the concentric, yes, I'm absolutely working my glutes and my quads. But when you look at that picture on the right there, you'll see that her ankle, if you saw a video of it, she's going to go from a dorsiflex position into a more relative plantar flex position. That joint angle is going to change. So even though her foot is in contact with the ground, yes, she doesn't get to point her foot like if she was doing a calf raise or if I was sitting on the edge of a chair and I asked someone to do plantar flexion. But there is still a motion in a closed chain, meaning the foot's in contact with the ground, that that angle is changing, which means the muscles of the lower body, primarily the soleus, because the knee's bent, has to work to bring you out of that position. The, now, we also have to add the knee flexion, the hip flexion, then the, um, as we decelerate and as we come out, we're going to go into knee extension. So obviously, we'll talk about here in a couple slides, the muscles that do that, as well as the hip. So that's triple flexion to triple extension on the eccentric, on the way down, and then we're getting into that triple extension on the way up from the bottom of the squat. Yes, and of course, you really want to think about core stabilization, and that's why in phase one, we spend so much time really focusing on, obviously, proper movement patterns, but to make sure that we have inner vertebral stability. And just to, as a review, what that means is the little muscles that protect protect each vertebrae. So little ones that go vertebrae to vertebrae um, are firing. So therefore our entire spine is protected. So therefore later on, if we decide to load it, we know we're not causing um, decompression. Well, we are going to decompress if you're loaded. However, you're not going to cause um, excessive uh, compression on areas that, that obviously, um, uh, we shouldn't should not have that type of force onto the discs. And so core is huge. It's also going to help with posture. And then just another review, the reason why we are so much of a stickler when it comes to the parallel lines is just to make sure that we have equal weight distribution between the ankle, the knee and the hip. So therefore, when we're doing this multi joint motion, we are making sure we're sharing the, the weight upon or um, amongst those three joints and not just compressing the, the lower back. Excellent. So from here, we're going to now break it down even further. Yeah. So I, if you want, I'll start here with the ankle. Sure. Awesome. Okay. So we're going to work our way from the bottom up as we go through these joint actions. So again, when we look at ideal dorsiflexion, you'll see in the top right, we or the top center, we're showing a picture of how you measure that with a goniometer just to give a visualization. Do you need to know how to measure with the goniometer? No, there's a, a lot of assessments we give you in the CPT and the CES that will handle for uh, the ability for you to understand if there's a restriction. Plus, obviously, we can watch what happens in the overhead squat assessment. But that is that foot and shin getting closer together. We need ideally 15 degrees is the minimum for athletic activities, but up to 20 degrees is ideal. And I've measured people and I know when you've had it, I've actually measured somebody at minus one or two. Oh yes. But it's, yeah. So it's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Yes. They're permanently locked almost in plantar flexion. So that's a whole nother problem, but it's not surprising for people to have single digits like seven, eight, and I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you look at the percentage, they're missing 50% of the motion. So the difference seven to 15 doesn't sound like a lot, but it's it's half of the ideal motion or maybe even a third if you're really targeting and trying to get to 20. So this is that where we, you guys know your strategies to improve the range of motion of the joints. We just wanted to highlight it. That's not what we're here to talk about at length today. We have other uh, round tables that cover that, but you have to address the calf complex with the soft tissue work and then the soleus stretching. And then another one that I like to put in there, if done properly, is a deeper squat. Because as I get into that, there's a lot of other good benefits, but you are getting that closed chain dorsiflexion. Now, I don't let my feet turn out. I don't let my pelvis just go out of position. I do a very controlled version of a deep squat. But again, it's another way that I can really improve that ankle dorsiflexion.
And Marty, just just before we get too far into it, and, and you kind of said this, but just to be very specific, when we're talking about deep squats, because again, you know, in the other two webinars, we said, you know, don't go past chair height or you're going to go into a posterior tilt and all this. So when we're talking about just looking at it on a mobility standpoint, when yes. you're going into your deep squat, is that okay to do? Because, you know, what, what you know, I, I know the purpose and you explain this to me as well. However, I think it would be good for you to share just one more time. Yeah, absolutely. So again, we're looking at a non-loaded position. We're looking at a deep squat that is relative to the person's individual. I cannot get to as deep of a squat as others, right? So I'm going to go to the point of first restriction. I'm still going to watch, keep my feet straight ahead. I'm not going to let my knees flare out significantly at all. I'm not going to be in any type of discomfort or pain, but I'm just teaching my body to get lower in an unloaded position. But that's after I did my soft tissue work. That's after I did some ankle uh, flexibility work directly. And then I'm getting into more of that closed chain version where I'm letting the hips drop more into it. So again, think of it more along the lines of like your yoga poses. Again, there are some poses that I think are phenomenal and some that, you know, might get a little, I think when you use this word a lot wonky in a sense, <laughs> I think we all know what that means. But again, it's okay to get into a deeper squat because you may do that in your activities of daily living, but I'm never, I'm going to at least never try to get into a deep squat with a ton of external load. Yes. And then that brings us into some activation. And, and I know we've done so many different, you know, webinars when we're talking about working on full available range of motion and how you get um, with that. And I know we're going to do some in the future, specifically just on the foot and ankle. However, think about this, if you're lacking ideal range of motion and you foam rolled and stretched, you know, uh, the, the specific muscles that were causing that compensation, you really want to go into activation just to help better prepare your body for the upcoming workout. So just two activation um, areas to consider would be the anterior tibialis. So again, you're just, you can do it with the tubing, you can do it with uh, cables, just where you're putting, putting it around the top of your foot or around your foot, and then bringing, I always say, you know, toes to nose, but basically you're bringing your foot in an upward position, again, making sure that the foot's not going out and you're maintaining proper alignment and really working on the deceleration. So therefore you're getting good activation and deceleration. I know one that that Marty uh, uses often is heel walks, where you're basically you can see in the picture here, someone's just on their heels, they're lifting their toe up and they're walking down and back. Um, I obviously do the same type of um, activation, if not with the cable, but I also do like where they're going into like a ball squat and then I have them um, lift their their toes up as well. So. So just some considerations. Again, you probably have your own toolbox of what you like to do. These are just two quick hitters that Marty and I wanted just to bring to the forefront. Yep. And this is very important in that squat. As we get lower, people kind of tend to forget that the anterior tib is really pulling that shin into that uh, position. It's not like gravity is just pushing it down. The anterior tib mm -hmm. still has to work to get you into that lower position. And if you're lacking this, you're usually going to see an excessive forward lane in the assessment process. So, or feet turning out or both. <laughs> yes. And that brings us in the, then looking at the knee, Marty. So why don't you kind of talk sure. a little bit um, and bring us into knee flexion? Yep. So again, I just like the imagery just so you uh, can all visualize what we're looking and measuring. Again, you don't have to know how to do these techniques. So we're looking at, as you'll see here from this position, how close the shin can get towards the butt. And that puts the rectus femoris on stretch. So that's gonna be your limiting factor. So ideal would be 135 degrees. And again, most people do not have that. So when we target first the, the flexibility mobility, we have to do our soft tissue work, whether it's the foam rolling, whether it's the vibration guns and things like that, you've got all your tools as Wendy just said, we really have to target that rectus femoris if somebody's lacking that knee flexion because as i go into a squat i'm going to need more knee flexion than most people have and again if i'm running out of knee flexion this is where you're going to see altered joint arthrokinematics or faulty movement patterns and then clearly the one thing that's going to really help is the activating the glute max for sure so again we've, we've gone over a lot of different glute exercises there's different type of glute bridges bridge progressions but I promise you, you will see glute bridges almost every master instructor roundtable we can talk about. We just have to try to get it in there somewhere. Yes. Okay. Why not throw it in now? And even probably for nutrition, it, we'd probably get it in. 
of course, it's all about the glutes. So, and then if we if we keep you know thinking about um, you know other different uh, you know considerations of joints, that's going to bring us into the next slide where we're going to talk about hip flexion and ideal range of motion for hip flexion again is anywhere from 110 to 120. And so we're really thinking about, you know, what's happening at the hip complex itself. And so usually overactivity in the hip flexor complex, we see that. Um, and usually it's overactivity in the TFL. So as, as well as the rectus femoris. And so we want to, as we've talked about, focus on providing proper length into those specific areas and then activating the weaker areas, which is usually anywhere from um, uh, working on the dead bugs. So we're still getting core and, and we wanted to kind of throw these in there because another reminder, and I keep saying reminder, because again, I want you guys to visit some of the, the previous webinars that we've done as well as series one and two, that the dead bugs are fantastic when you're really trying to get core activation. It doesn't take, you know, you're not fighting gravity, you're laying on your back. However, now you're going to start working the hip flexor complex as well. And the same thing with the stability ball knee tuck. If a muscle is overactive, it is still going to be weak. And so we do want to really focus in on the muscles that are in a lengthened position that we're allowing those compensations. However, keep in mind that, you know, sometimes people get popping of the hip or they'll get some other, other things going on. And a lot of that is because of overactivity and weakness as well. Yeah, and I think that's where people get confused is like, wait a minute, I have to strengthen my hip flexors. And it's, you know, when we use the word strengthening, I think my head goes right to the strength phase. No, you're trying to activate the hip flexor to control the new range of motion that you opened up. Mm -hmm. Because again, they have to work. We're just trying to get them to work in proportion to the rest of the body. So it's not overactive. It's active appropriately. Yes. <laughs> And oftentimes, again, we see the anterior pelvic tilt in, in this. And so that's one of the one of the key assessments, you know, compensations to think about. You know, if you're going to have an excessive lean, you may see some of these issues as well as the anterior tilt. And then, of course, that brings us moving up the chain. <laughs> what do you so think's next? Oh, you know, Smith is killing me. This is the important one. So the neutral spine. And so Marty, if you want to go, if we go back a slide and you want to talk us through, you know, when we're talking about the ASIS and the PSIS, um, you know, talking about what we yeah. mean by the same level. Yeah. So there's no degrees, like if we're going to measure with the goniometer. So if you know your anatomy, you know, the anterior superior iliac spine and then the posterior superior iliac spine. So you would know how to palpate those if you're allowed uh, as a massage therapist, athletic trainer to touch. If you're in fitness, you're not necessarily wanting to grab people's pelvis. So the great way to say is, hey, look at me, see where I'm putting my hands on my pelvis and they'll find those bony prominences. And then the same thing in the back. It's very easy on most people to palpate those. If you can't do that or have your client do it, obviously you can see from the side the difference between what you see there in the green circle and the red circle. I think most people here that have been training for all understand the importance of getting out of an anterior tilt. Yes, you'll see the posterior tilt as well. So one of the ways to find out if somebody is in neutral is I'll say, okay, let me see you tip your pelvis all the way forward, tip it all the way back, now find the middle. So you, sometimes people think they're in an anterior tilt, they might be. So I like to see if people can move their pelvis back and forth, show me as far as forward as you can go, show me how far back you can go, find the middle, and then now you're teaching them what that is. The key thing is when we're doing that, you're only looking for motion from their pelvis. You're not looking for them to sway their entire body or bend their knees. And you'll see that a lot until they learn how to disassociate their pelvis from the rest of their body. But that's a great drill to do as well. So if we see the anterior tilt more times than not, you'll see here that we got to work on getting rid of that. So the hip flexor complex is going to be the tissue that tends to be overactive. So you know how to attack that with the self myofascial rolling and the different stretches you can do. And then the activation, the other side of it would be, okay, let's get those hamstrings firing for sure so they can pull the pelvis posteriorly back to neutral we're not looking for a posterior tilt but we understand that the muscles that would pull us posteriorly are not doing their job so hamstring strengthening you know you'll see here that we love you know <laughs> ball curls things like that so i'm sure Wendy, you got some tricks in the that you like to put in there as well and again bridges what do you know yeah, I, I mean, those are the two activation exercises I use the most, mainly because they're easy. They don't require a lot of equipment. And that's just it. We're, you know, we can throw out so many different exercises and it's only up to your creativity. 
However, again, maintaining the five kinetic chain checkpoints is extremely important. Also really trying to think what muscle are you trying to activate? What does that muscle do? And so it doesn't mean you have to know origin and insertion, but you really want to know the function of muscles. So therefore you truly can help design the best program. And then, you know, as Marty just said, when you have a posterior pelvic tilt, now you're going to have your hamstrings in a shortened position. And so we want to make sure at that point that we try to find some good activation exercises. So once once you're trying to get the glutes to fire the way that they're supposed to fire. So if somebody feels that they're doing a bridge and they feel activation in their hamstrings, that's not correct. A bridge is not really there to do a hamstring activation. It, remember, it's a synergist. So as the glutes do not want to work, the hamstrings want to take over. And so very important that they feel this in a neutral spine as well as in their glutes. And a good cue, ask them where they feel it and see where they point, and then that will let you know. If they feel it in their hamstrings too much, then bring their feet back towards their glutes, and that will help cue them out of that, hopefully. And then if not, you may have to regress it even further. And then Marty and I both like the, the single leg step up. I think that's fantastic because those are still working the prime movers that you're going to need to um, perform a correct squat long term um, anyway. And so trying to get prime movers to work and make sure that the, the hips stay neutral. Absolutely. I mean, we do it every day, right? Every day. And, and then that brings us to our simple to advanced uh, movements. So Marty, you want to talk us through some of these exercises? Yeah, so there's countless different ways that you can attack this, right? We know we need core stability. We know we need glute activation. We know we need to get people to understand that triple flexion to triple extension. So if you have somebody, and I remember, Wendy, when we did the live workshops, we'd always get this question, what if my client wants to squat right away and their squat is horrible? Well, we're going to still squat them day one, and you'll learn how we do that here today. So just understanding if we break it down, you're gonna to have to get that core stable. So whether you use traditional planks, whether you use high planks, whether you use payoff presses, you're gonna know what they can do and you're gonna know what your facility has to offer and what exercise you feel comfortable with. But we'd be fooling ourselves if we think we're ever gonna improve somebody's squat, even at the strength phase or any other type of explosive jumping, if you're not gonna get that structural integrity of the core. So it all is gonna come back to the stability. So we've done core, round tables that you can get into. Obviously there are certain things that are just very easy, but you'll see planks and bridges and variations. But one of the ones that I like to do when I have someone that needs to relearn a squat pattern, or if their overhead squat's not good, is this suspension trainer squat, right? Because one, the suspension trainer is creating and forcing core activation. And I know some people might say, well, what if their arms fall forward? Well, I would have done all the appropriate soft tissue work, right? So we're just kind of jumping into the squatting. But think about the activation in the mid trap, the low trap, as well as you're teaching that person to hinge. So I use this probably one to two times a week, just as a warm up when I'm doing the appropriate type of workout, just to, again, kind of groove that central nervous system in the communication between those muscles. You know, it's easy for me to almost forget this exercise, but I love it just because of what I get with that suspension trainer with my arms overhead. And I think it's, you know, you can use cables, you can use suspension trainers and, you know, anything, but it's also going to help give you a little bit more dorsiflexion as well. You know, so you are working on the fundamental movement patterns, but to Marty's point, it's very, very important that you did the proper warm up and try to help get more length into tissues that have been in a shortened position. But you still want to focus on the fundamental movement pattern of a squat. It is a, a movement that they have to do. So because they're doing it every day in life, trying to bring it to the forefront in the beginning of a program is, is okay. But you still want to know that or, or we want you to realize that going into like a squat to overhead press, if they had an anterior tilt and their arms fell forward, would not be ideal because, in the you know, if you don't have something to help get them better at proper movement and you don't focus on the little muscles and the things that cause those compensations, you're going to still see those same compensations in that movement because it's the same movement you just had them do and now you loaded it with weight. So, you know, you may have to put the arms down while you're working on extensibility of the lat or, you know, with the, the cable or this trainer, you can have them slightly lean back and work on those parallel lines. Just some keep. <laughs> just a few, just a few. But you know what? I think it's kind of like we're hitting the same key points every week, right? I know. Well, it's because they're very important. 
couldn't <laughs> agree more. So this uh, is one of the ones, Wendy, where I'm sorry I jumped in there. No, you're good. When people are like, oh, you know, I, I need to give my person a really challenging squat or they're going to leave me. If you do a ball squat, and we'll talk towards the bottom, loaded with the right tempos, it's brutal. And the reason I say that is most people that have been squatting, if I'm identifying they need this, guess what they haven't been working? Their glutes and the squat in the right pattern. So this, when you start grooving that triple flexion, triple pattern, it feels like a whole new exercise to them. So it's it's humbling how hard a you know, if you did a stability ball um, squat with a stabilization tempo with some external load that's appropriate, you'd be shocked how hard 12 to 20 reps is. But the beauty of this is you're giving them some artificial core stability while you're working towards building that up. You're getting the foot and ankle out in front just a little bit. So that way, as you're working towards increasing their dorsiflexion, they're not going to need as much in this version of that exercise. But you could use this during phase one, you could use this as the strength in phase two or the stability in phase two, depending on the person's ability. But you can also use it in your hypertrophy phase and really load it up appropriately. So, again, you got the weight vest, you got dumbbells, you got kettlebells. And I think you, people will be shocked how little of weight they need to make it appropriate in any of these phases. And oftentimes I use the ball squats and, and I use this with some of our, you know, NBA players, some of our athletes that come in, I have them do the ball squats and they hate it. And the reason that I do this is because I'm working on alignment. However, they want to feel, quote, the burn. And I'm like, you know what, we're going to make this a win-win because I want to make it super challenging for them. So I'm working on the repetitions. I'm working on proper movement patterns and execution the entire time. Because remember, we've said this over and over, quality over quantity. However, what you can do as they get stronger or if you're undulating a program, meaning they're coming back to phase one and you know that they've been in the strength phases and power phases, then do, you know, 12 or 15 reps, as Marty said, holding on to, you know, dumbbells or kettlebells or a weight vest, whatever. But then what I have them do is at the very, you know, the last one after they've done their 12th rep, they go down in the bottom and they'll hold it 30 seconds they'll hold it 60 seconds. So therefore their quads are shaking. They're thinking it's super hard. However, you are, you are stressing out the quads. It's under load, it, you know, so you can be, you know, think about there's a purpose, you know, you're giving them what they want, which is they want to feel quote crushed. You're, but as Marty says, you're also working on what they need because you're working on making sure that they have proper movement patterns. So just know that, you know, you can add time, you can challenge it up. You can make you can't add ex uh, um, external load in phase one, like phase one should not be easy. And if so, then you need to think, how can you make it harder, but making sure the form is maintained at all times. Just wanted to throw that in there too. <laughs> Underutilized exercise in my opinion. I know. Yes. But just also make sure that the, you know, that they don't arch their back into the ball and that they fully come out of hip Correct. flexion. Oftentimes people will still stay leaned back into the ball. And so therefore they're really not fully activating their glutes because they're still hip flexed. So fully make sure that when they stand up, that everything is, is abs are in, glutes are tight and all as well. So, yes. But then that brings us into the, one of the other um, exercises we want to discuss, which is kind of what we just went over. And so, Marty, I'll let you take this one because I know this is this is your thing right here. Yeah. So, again, <laughs> it's it's an easy way to do it from people that are training at home. You can you can travel with a suspension trainer. So it's just a very versatile tool. But again, it allows the arms to be out front, which forces more of the core stabilization just without them even having to think about it. And it really allows them to sit back as they're learning how to properly squat. And it lets them load their glutes because they're not holding up their whole body weight. And obviously if, you, if I'm giving this exercise to somebody, they proved to me that they couldn't squat their body weight appropriately. So this is why I like it. It's, and I think it's you know, a very easy way to help learn a squatting pattern as they're going through all the other parts of that. Obviously I can control my range of motion, the proper depth, I have to always keep an eye on the five connecting checkpoints. This is another one where people don't come all the way up. They don't get into that full hip extension. And I notice on the suspension trainers, they drop a little too far down because they can kind of hold on. So again, I'm, I'm going to keep them at about that 90 degrees. Once again, you can always do external load with this as well. I, I love the weight vests as an option. So that way they can still hold on with two arms. But if they're dialed in, you can do a one arm and then maybe offload one side of the body as long as you switch it, but that's a little more of an advanced technique. But I still think this, this is a great tool to get people squatting properly. 
And before we get too far forward, Marty, I'm going to read you a question because I think this is, you know, obviously it's more um, talking about the ball squat. But the question was, was some cues to teach the ball squat? I have a beginner client and I'm telling him to, I'm supposed to be not lean on the ball and activate the core, but um, it is extremely difficult for him. So I'm making him do an assisted squat with bands, but I'd like for him to use the ball squat. Um, or he'd like to use it as well. So what what cues do you give? Because I know what I give and I'll give my my two cents after. Sure. So one, you, as you're saying, they may just use that tactiles to push into it. So again, if you have to find another alternative, maybe it's a suspension trainer or as you're talking band squats, it's another tool in the toolbox. So what I like to do is I like to tell people, I want you to barely touch the ball. I want your as little pressure into the ball as possible naturally I think people sink back into it initially. So my, my cue is I want little to no contact with the ball. I want that ball just to be very gentle there just to guide you up and down. So Wendy, I'd love to hear what kind of cueing you give. I did the same thing. So I, when I, I do the show tell do, so I will put the ball higher. So that's not in the lower part of my back. So almost around my shoulder blade area. And so I tell them, this is where I want this ball to, to try to stand or to maintain. So therefore you don't get into any arching. And I want you to maintain that neutral position of your pelvis. And then I, I tell them that I want to be able to hit the ball away from them, that I want them to use that as a guide. And if they're leaning too far back and I can barely move that ball, then I know that they're leaning too far back into it. And that's not what I want. So, you know, just maintain, you know, uh, weight throughout the entire foot that I keep telling them and I'm cueing them into those parallel lines from a lateral view because I want them to get used to that. And then I want them to fully come out of hip, hip, um, hip flexion. So to your point, I do the same thing, Marty. I tell them that I want to be able to hit that ball. And if, if they're putting a lot of pressure on it, I'll be like, you know what? You want to maintain it, put it more in your quads. Because remember, you're going to try or your clients are going to try the path of least resistance where it doesn't hurt. And it's easier to lean back into a ball and put the pressure back into the ball for that reason. It's just you've got it. You've got to call them out on it. <laughs> so that the, so we say the same thing, Marty. I'm just probably more sarcastic with my peeps. <laughs> so uh, Yeah, and, I'm going to say yes. Yeah, probably so. But you know what? They keep coming back, so I'm doing something right. Doing something. <laughs> um, this is one of my favorites would be the cable and um, or tubing squat. It's great for beginners. Again, with, with the resistance coming from the front, it will help someone you know, get better range of motion in their ankles. However, you also have to have a lot of core activation. So therefore they don't fall forward with that weight coming from, from, you know, in front of them. So they have to be able to hold their, their core in tight, maintain proper alignment. And once again, it's all about finding neutral and maintaining neutral position. And, you know, they, I always add more of a, a squat to a row, but, you know, you can do this single leg. You can do this with both legs. You can do this multi-joint, multi, you know, total body exercises. Just don't be afraid to load it. And, you know, I know a lot of times people are like, well, they'll put really lightweight because they're working on this. I mean, if you've got someone that's fairly strong and you're still working on it and you take a cable and put it to, let's say, 40 or 45, it's going to seem heavy when they first initially pick it up, which is good. If they can maintain proper alignment, load that cable machine to what they can handle and force their core to have to work harder as well as their quad and glutes throughout that range of motion. So I just I see this often. They put, you know, people put it really light and I'm like that almost makes it harder because you're not you're not giving them, you know, the, the weight to help pull them forward and then force them to to use their posterior chain to get it back. I love it. One of my favorites. Oh, it's, it's great. <laughs> uh, and again, this is very easy to do. You know, most people can have a cable and as long as there's something sturdy, they can attach onto it. It's, it's a great, great exercise. Yes. This was a big one that was used. I know a lot with COVID because people couldn't leave. And if they had tubing, you can do this pretty much anywhere that there's something to, to anchor it to for sure. Um, but then that brings us to step ups. Marnie, you want to get, take us through there? Let's yeah. So sometimes, uh, depending on my facilities, uh, this just came to, to my mind because my last facility that where I was doing one-on-one -on -one training is we didn't, if you can believe it, we did not have a wall for ball squats. Uh, I didn't design what? the facility clearly. I, I didn't design the facility. However, it was just ranked the top five in the top five of the nation, private clubs, the new design that I never really got to work in, but I'm just saying. 
So one of the issues was we didn't have wall space. We just truly didn't. So, okay, what do I do? I had suspension training, but I'm like, what do I, what else could I do uh, in, in getting someone to learn the triple flexion, triple extension? So I would use step ups. Now, normally I would always go squat to a step up, but you got to adapt. So a small step up, whether it's six inches or eight inches is still teaching that triple flexion, triple extension, still getting the same parallel lines. I love to start with a squat or the ball squat, but sometimes you just got to work with what you got. So whether it's a step in somebody's home, which is obviously very low in comparison to like, I see people in the gym trying to go right to like 18 to 24 inch step ups. And unless you're incredibly tall, that's going to be too high, no matter what your fitness level. So this is still another way to kind of hijack that motion, even though I would normally say step ups come second, you just got to lower the height because you're still working through the progressions. And then again, if we talk about if they needed to get some hip flexion in, as I come up into balance, I'm getting core stability, I'm getting everything at the foot and ankle, and I am getting a little of that light hip flexion activation that I need anyways. So again, I, I love this as an alternative if you're just in a spot where you can't do some of these other exercises. I don't want to, I know we're talking about squatting, but again, this we're talking about triple flexion, triple extension patterning. So I just want to throw this in there as a change of pace. And I think it's important when you say that, Marty, though, remember when you're squatting, if you're squatting with ideal range of motion, your two-legged squat, your single leg squat, your step-ups, you know, frontal plane lunges, any of that, you're always going to have the same patterning and positioning throughout your body, or or there's probably a compensation that is occurring. And I think, you know, we we underutilize the step-up, and when I see it done in the gym, it's often done incorrectly. And it's mainly because people, you know, they lean forward and they just get up there. They squeeze their glute at the top. And yes, they may go into triple flexion, which is what we're hoping. But then they, quote, plop down at the bottom. And it's like, you know what? It should be they come up in parallel lines. They fully engage their, their quad and, and glute. They go into triple flexion. They end up going into triple extension on the way down. They go down for, you know, three to four seconds. They control it. They maybe tap the bottom of their toe and then they come right back up. It is an extremely difficult exercise when done correctly. But if you're just having someone get up there and, you know, any way that they can, you're not really focusing on proper movement and alignment. And then you're just having them just come down at whatever pace and their foot goes out and they're just they kind of hit the ground hard. You're really not helping them. So just know this is, I think, a very, very good exercise, especially when it's done correctly. And um and to your point, you know, if you don't have a six inch step and, you know, maybe it has to be a little bit higher, then use the different trainers or use some balance aid to help them. It's just their their form really needs to be considered at all times or you just need to completely not do this exercise until they're ready. Yeah. And the beauty of it, again, with a suspension trainer or if you put the bench, you know, the box next to something that's stable, not going to move or their fingers aren't going to get hit with something. Again, you'd be surprised how quickly they can learn to adapt and then they need less of that external aid. But I even love this as the progression because you mentioned kind of that flopping. When you see somebody really learn to do this through stability, then you teach them to do it in strength. When they get to their power level, they will drop rapidly, but it's, it's graceful. You know, they're going down quickly, but their form and technique is dialed in. And as soon as they hit the ground, they can drive right back up. And you just, but their whole, the whole time, everything wasn't aligned and they were always in control of that speed because you took them through the progressions. So I love a power step up at some point, mm -hmm. but I don't like, this is what drives me nuts is people want to do something to increase metabolic demand. The person has never been introduced to it in a stability phase. And all of a sudden they're like, all right, up and down on the step as fast as you can go. It's like, whoa, wait a minute, go slow, earn the right to do it slow, maybe do it under some load. Then now they're going to be able to drop down quickly and immediately to their level, go right back up. So again, this is a phenomenal exercise to start with, knowing that there is a continuum to it. Well said, Marty. Just, just, <laughs> my, just my thoughts. And then of course, I love, I love these two. Um, so if we go back to this slide, um, when we look at the single leg squat and, you know, once again, this is a progression, the single leg squat, it, 
if you do a single leg squat or you can do something called a single leg squat touchdown, which as you can see in the picture of the right, she's going into more of a single leg touchdown. She is a little bit more or too, too far forward for my liking. However, you know, what are we trying to do? We're working on balance. We're working on making sure opposite arm, opposite leg. So we're working in a contralateral um, motion because we train that way. So if I'm standing on my right, my weight would be in my left hand and vice versa. Very, very good um, way to try to make sure that you are engaging the core and that you're not utilizing to, you know, leaning too much on one side. And this is also really good for someone that showed an asymmetrical weight shift because therefore you're having to kind of break it apart and make the right muscles on each side work appropriately. One other one that I love is the one that you'll see the girl on the bench. Now, the thing is, is this is when you really want to make sure that they have really good um, control. Now, this this is a really high step. You can start definitely lower. And this is one that we used to do in rehab, like with with um, in physical therapy, when we were trying to make sure that we're getting, you know, someone to, to now utilize their VMO quad, everything as well as to get the glutes to fire. But at this point, they go down into the parallel lines, they would tap just their heel. So they don't ever accept weight onto the ground. And then they go right back up squeeze their quad and glute, and then repeat. So it's very slow and controlled. You're making sure you're working through those joint actions that Marty discussed on the, the on the um, uh, beginning slides. And it, it's very, very challenging. And, and I, I do this with all of my clients. So it doesn't matter if they're weekend warriors, doesn't matter if they're an elite level, it doesn't matter if they're a mom. This is a really good exercise to do, meaning the one on the bench. Now, I think the single leg one, you can use as we talked about before, as and as you can see, you can use a cable because again, the cable may help get better range of motion, but they have to work on really having good core strength. And if they're just getting into it and you're working on mechanics and you're trying to make sure that they have good alignment in their foot and ankles, so they're not dropping their arch, their knee isn't caving in, then you can use mobility sticks. You're just trying to make sure that you're training the brain to move correctly. We, we walk on one leg, we move on one leg. So we want to train them on one leg as long as they can maintain proper alignment and can handle that. Absolutely. And if there's one thing that, you know, I, I really try to focus on my program and most of my clients is even outside of balance, I try to do some type of single leg exercise every workout whether it's a finisher, whether it's, you know, you name it, because it's just so important that people can really own the ability to work on one leg versus the other. So I, whether it's stability, strength or power, I always find a way to do my exercises on a single leg when, when appropriate, but you know, I try to put it in there as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And there was a good question, Marty, I'm going to shoot this to you. This is from Lisa. She had said, do you have any tips for training folks with scoliosis on squats? Yes. So first and foremost, you're going to get a clearance that they're uh, ready to exercise. So more people probably have a slight scoliosis and we may know and we may not pick it up, but if it's significant enough and they're telling you, that means it's been identified and they may have had some type of issue with pain, discomfort, injury, et cetera. So you have to have that conversation just to make sure that they're ready to exercise. So now, there's a lot that we could go into, but if you look at go into somebody with scoliosis, would it be shocking to me if they had an asymmetrical shift one way or the other? No. Or maybe they present themselves that way because of their scoliosis. So this is why it's very important to speak to their healthcare practitioner if you if you can do that. The key thing is it goes back to keeping it as simple as possible is we're going to do their assessment. We're going to target what the assessment tells us to do. We're going to work within ranges of motion that never elicit pain. And we're going to spend a lot of time in corrective exercise and stabilization training. And no matter what their goal is, you're going to get them to that goal by really having a sound corrective exercise program and stabilization. Now, we're not going to be able to spend time today, and this could be another whole topic on why stabilization and corrective gives you all the other benefits. But if they're moving better, they have one, you're going to prevent them from potentially having that scoliosis get worse over time. Number two, you're going to do the best that you can to rebalance their body. And from there, now they should be able to move better, move more frequently, move more often, and their goals are going to come from it. Now, if they want to get to the strength and power, would I ever backload somebody with scoliosis? Absolutely not, because I can't get their spine in neutral. But that doesn't mean a ball squat with a weight vest. It doesn't mean some of these other things that we gave are not safe 
and effective ways to work around someone with a deviation in the position of their spine and still give them a great workout. So I really think that this, everything we just kind of went over. And then if you go back to some of our other workshops on squatting and things like that, that, you know, the other round tables, I should say, I think that you'll have a lot of answers there, but hopefully I answered it as well here. <laughs> And I'm going to piggyback off of that because I'm going to use a, an example of a professional golfer that I had. You know, he does have scoliosis and it came in and was having some issues in that region because, you know, obviously there was a lot of discomfort. But really working on proper alignment, getting because he's a golfer, I really had to focus a lot on getting better range of motion and his internal and external rotation at the hip because he was um, showing uh, compensations, major compensations that that probably weren't because of his scoliosis. It was because of what he was doing in his sport. And so by realigning his body, by really trying to get really good core activation, especially on those little muscles that protect the vertebrae before going into more global muscles, he was able to actually increase his club head speed and be able to move more fluidly through motions that he wasn't able to do before because no one took the time to identify all the other things that were, you know, that he was stressing and relying more on just because of lack of strength. And so I think that's really important to think, as Marty mentioned, look at the assessment and think about what somebody can need, because you're not necessarily going to change someone with scoliosis unless like you're a miracle worker, but you're going to get sometimes people that have rod in their backs, you know, well, you're still going to train them the same way. There's been trauma to the, that area. And the stronger you can get um, those muscles to fire, the less pressure you're going to have on other joints that later on could really, really cause some issues. So hopefully we answered that. So let's move on. <laughs> um, so if we go just to our key takeaways, uh, this is no surprise here. You wanna know the muscles that you're targeting and hopefully after this third round, you guys are very clear of what muscles you should focus on when performing a squat. And then you want to think about proper movement. You know, we had talked about so many different variations in squats. We've talked about feet positioning and why certain people say to do certain things that we may or may not agree with. Switch it up. Obviously, the more you can spice up a workout, make it challenging, the better. However, the model is there for a reason. It is your blueprint. It, it literally you find the assessment, you, you, you just plug and play and you're going to have amazing outcomes. You know, that's going to help work on the uh, faulty movement patterns, fix what you're seeing and the compensations, identify that. But when you're actually getting into the activation and programming for specific exercises, always have a regression and progression. And you're going to hear us say that probably to we're green in the face, because if somebody can't do something correctly, it's not OK. If somebody starts to at, you know, rep number 11 and you wanted them to go to 12, you know, if they if if they start to break down, then it doesn't mean you need to regress it. You may need to lighten the load. You may just need to, you know, give them more of a rest period. Maybe they're tired. So, so always keep that stuff in mind, but use the model. It works. I'm telling you, I've used it for decades. I have to say more than one decades. Um, and I've been successful using it because I just follow the model and I, it makes me different because I follow the model and I use the acute variables. And so be different because you're going to have really good outcomes if you are. So Great point. No, obviously, um, you know, you and I've been doing this since the early 2000s. So we're kind of dating uh, ourselves here. I know. But shockingly, <laughs> things haven't changed. And what I mean by that is the system hasn't changed. We've made some minor tweaks and terminology. We've added some stuff into it, but we've really only added more some of the newer technologies, newer fitness toys and tools to it. And we've added some additional assessments, but those assessments have always been there. So that's the beauty of the model is it's tested and proven to be the most efficient way to train people regardless of their goals. So why would you not want to use it? Then you just put your spin on it. When I say spin, it's not changing the science. It's I might use Indian clubs and kettlebells more than Wendy, and she may use suspension trainer and dumbbells more than me. But I promise you, if you looked at, if you gave us each somebody the same assessment and same phase of training, you're going to see almost the identical programming, but we just may pick different exercises or tools but our system would be the same and why we pick those exercises would be about the same level for that person. It's just what feels more natural for us, but the execution would be the same. 
And I do want to throw in just really quick, you know, we talked about the goniometric assessments using a goniometer, and we know that that was so challenging for a lot of trainers because it does take time and practice. I mean, I've been doing it for over 20 years. So for me, I know the positions and I feel very comfortable reading the numbers and, and trying to get, you know, um, consistent Num, you know, positioning and consistent numbers to make sure that before I get my clients out on the floor that I'm, I'm I know where they are and, and where they may be from ideal. If you guys really want to dig deep into that, you know, look into the new CES. And this isn't a plug for the CES, but I swear I love the CES because it really has helped me grow my business. But the mobility assessments they've taken the goniometer out of it. And for example, if you don't know if your client has 15 to 20 degrees of range of motion in the ankle, doing something like the weight bearing load test um, or lunge test, excuse me, can their knee get to the wall? Yes or no, pass or fail. Then, you know, if they, if, if they can and they showed a compensation, then, you know, it was more, you know, you're working more on the overactive muscles. If they can't, then it's the underactive muscles. So, so just something to think about too, as you grow into the NASM curriculum and as you grow as a trainer, some of these other tools can really give you more specific insight of how you can help a, a client, no matter what their, their goals are. Um, but I just wanted to say that because we didn't talk a lot about the mobility assessments here. We just wanted to show you guys what we meant by how can you find out ideal range of motion, but there are other, other assessments out there that can help. And Marty's on mute. <laughs> nope, I was unmuting. I was unmuting. Okay. <laughs> I'm in the office today, so I heard some background noise. So I was trying to be respectful. Yes. So um, but I if you guys want, yeah, no worries. If you guys have any questions, you can always reach out to Marty or myself. But in order to find me, if you want to email me directly, my email address, and we'll bring it up here, is just wendy.bats at nasm.org. Or you can always find me on Instagram at um, wendy.bats13. And then my information will pop up here in a second. So email, obviously, is marty.miller at nasm.org. And Instagram is dr.martymiller72. So, Wendy, before we close this out, do you want to give him uh, give them a little hint on what next week looks like? Yes, we are going to do something completely different. And it's mainly just because when we have people come in and, and join us on our roundtables, we love it. But we also get, as we've seen even today, mm -hmm. where are these – webinars where do they live how do i find them and so marty and i are actually going to take next week and walk you through all the different podcasts that nasm offers we're going to talk to you of where does it live how can you find it if you want to download some of our podcasts where do those live who's doing them what are the topics and then you know we're going to talk a little bit about a social event we're going to do that's free for you guys we're also going to talk about some of our courses that are out there to help you guys um, so just join us because I think it'll be fun. And I know when I was going through the material, I was like, oh, I forgot about this podcast. This one's amazing. <laughs> and but but, you know, there's just sometimes we just kind of get in our own world and we, we stay in our own pod and we forget that, you know, we're here to help you. We want to offer every platform possible and make sure that you guys are always having the most up to date information listening to some of these amazing interviews that we've had with people that are very well known in the industry. And we want to make sure that we are providing you with the, with what you guys want to better your career and best help you. So, so tune in, it'll be fun. Awesome. Well, thank you for that recap, Wendy. And as always, thanks for spending this time. Uh, it's always a pleasure. So thank you so much for joining. We look forward to seeing you next week. All the best.